Nate, you ready to read some scripture? Hey, we called Nate like last minute. We had nobody to read in Spanish. And come to find out, I'm not the only one that can read in Spanish. So can Nate. So guys, give it up for Nate. I really don't know how to read in Spanish, but, you know, some of y'all caught that. Some A little rusty, but uh, to God be the glory. Yeah, uh, there you go. Work. No judgment here. Luke 2, verses 1 through 7. Acontenció en alquios días que se promulgó un edicto de parte de Augusto César que todo el mundo fuese empatronado. Este primer censo de hizo siendo cerneo gobernador de Siria. E iban todos para... I'm not talking to Siri. Shut up, phone. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize. That's all right. E iban todos para ser empadronados cada uno a su ciudad. Y José subió de Galilea, de la ciudad de Nazareth, a Judea, a la ciudad de David, que se llama Belén, por cuanto era de la casa y familia de David, para ser empadronado con María, su mujer, Desposado con él, la cual estaba encinta, y aconteció que estando ellos allí, se cumplieron los días de su alumbramiento, y dio la luz a su hijo primogénito, y lo envolvió en pañales, y lo acostó en un pesembre, porque no había lugar para ellos en el mesón. All right, y'all give it up for Nate. Lo espanol there, and I'm going to read it in English. If you got your Bibles, we are in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. In those days, a decree went out from Caesarea Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Curnus was governor of Caesarea, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed. He was with child, and uh, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And wrapped him in swaddling cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word now. We pray that you would use it. Or that you would use your preacher to give me clarity of speech and precision of heart. Did you have my flesh behind the cross? And you help me to tell the truth and nothing but the truth so that you may be magnified this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all the saints said, amen. Nothing is more exciting and frustrating at the same time for children during Christmas time than gifts under the tree. These two emotions begin to stir even in my own children, knowing that there is something for them but not knowing or unable to enjoy that something until weeks later. I see them often sitting around the tree trying to figure out what the gift is by the shape, size, and weight. Can anybody relate to me this morning? 
in one year, I honestly thought that God gave us a prophetess for a daughter. Lila knew her gift. But that all changed when I found holes poked into the wrapping paper. However, I did notice something about my children. They would gather around the tree looking for something in particular. But something they particular were trying to find. They would look for the tags on the gifts that said from and to and hoover over the ones that had their name after the word to. Now in the Harris household, our tradition is the name that comes after the word from is the person who hands the gift to the person whose name is after the word to. What we do now, we look for that gift, we, 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 we find that tag, and, 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 and whoever uh, uh, is given the gift to the other person would, would take that gift and hand it to that person. I make my kids do this so they can witness and feel every emotion as their eyes witness the physical motion of a gift coming from someone to them. They get frustrated with me because they just want to rip through the gifts. But I'm like, no, we're going to slow down, we're going to feel this thing. This is how gift exchanging works, right? Gifts move from one person to another, right? And that's, what, that's what we do. That's how you give a gift. You take the gift and you give it to the other person. This is, this is how gift work, uh, this is how gift giving goes. If you don't give the gift, the person can never receive the gift. So we take that gift and we give it to the person. Gifts must move from one person to another. And in order to give a gift, you have to move it and give it to someone. It's from me to you. The beautiful thing. From me to you. But the best gifts don't just move to us or come into our possessions. The best gifts moves us. Let me say that again. The best gifts don't just move to us, but the best gifts moves us. There are gifts that move, there, there are certain gifts that have moved your inward being. I'm that kind of husband and dad and friend. I want to give a gift from me to you that will move you. One of the greatest gifts I gave to my wife Paige was a surprise wedding. And she's right there. Ever a surprise wedding. Do we got that video? Here it is. So what did y'all get for the honeymoon? Well, we was looking for bathing food, but you know, we had to leave for the Where's she going for the honeymoon? She don't know yet. It's a surprise. Ooh. It's like a, you know, version of what I did. He goes to the airport, and that's when you find out. <laughs> ah, so Robbie's planned everything, and she has no clue, huh? Yeah. All right, so what would you like her to know on the first night of her honeymoon? Have that's when she's going to be watching this. Yeah. <laughs> that this is over. Yeah. Oh, you can't get to it. Hey, babe, this ain't really what I'm doing. Oh, you do? Oh, I'm glad. Yeah. 
13 years ago. As you can see, certain gifts ought to move us. And as wonderful as that gift was, as great as that gift was, we humans can never outgive God. The gift God has given to the world has moved the world. Of course, the greatest gift ever given was a gift that moved to us. The, 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 greatest gift that, the greatest gift that was ever given was a gift that moved to us and moved us. I'm talking about Jesus, ladies and gentlemen. In the Christmas account, we find both the physical movement of a gift and the spirits and souls of humanity being moved as a result. This is particularly a Christian thing. Only in Christianity do we find this movement of God physically to do something in us spiritually. That's the idea we're going to think about over the next few weeks as we start this new series today called To You From Above. See, this year, all, with all the craziness, we don't just need another Christmas. But we need to be moved by Christmas. Because maybe it's been a while since you have been moved by the real Christmas story. Or maybe it hasn't moved you at all. I hope over these next few weeks we can unwrap the significance of the historical event and show you the gift of Jesus in a way that will move you. In Luke 2, we find God's gift wrapped in flesh with a tag that says, from God to the world. Look at the verse again. In those days, a decree went out from Caesarea. Augustus, that all the world should be registered. I'm going to skip down a few verses. And it says, uh, uh, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the end. The gift is to who? So we kind of know the Christmas story, right? Nothing new about this. We know the Christmas story. God uses Human gift wrapping paper, that is flesh, to wrap his son up. He sends Jesus into the world. We know the story. So we know who the gift is from. The gift is from God the Father. But what I love about the Gospel of Luke is he, out of all the other Gospels, wants to focus on who the gift is to and not just who the gift is from. One of the things you realize about the Gospel of Luke in comparison to the other Gospels, particularly the Gospel of Matthew, is the genealogy. 
That's that section of Scripture everybody skips over with all the names. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all just skip over that. I don't, I don't know. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't want to know about him. You know, I'm trying to find something about me. And you skip over them, Gene. I can't even say them names. I don't, I don't even know why them names that. But there's actually gold in the genealogies. One of the things we realize is that Matthew and Luke's genealogy are different. And we must ask the question, why? Well, Matthew traces Jesus' birth back to Abraham. But Luke traces his birth back to Adam. Why this difference? Matthew wants his readers who are largely Jewish. I just heard myself out there. Amen, somebody. Uh, I have to amen myself. Uh, Matthew wants his readers who are largely Jewish to know that Jesus fits the description of the Messiah in the Old Testament. Matthew's aim is to, is to grab the attention of his audience that are largely Jewish. So he wants them to see that Jesus fits the description of the Messiah to come in the Old Testament, that he is actually a descendant of David. He focuses on the interests of the Jewish audience. However, Luke wants us to see he is the Savior of all people. He's the Savior of all people. Hold on, it gets better. Not only is he the Savior of all people, I got to break it down just a little bit more. He's the Savior of all classes. Okay, that didn't hit you. He's the Savior of every person, no matter your situation. He's the Savior of all ethnicities, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, chicken, cat, dog, frog. He's the Savior of everybody. He's the Savior of the oppressed. He's the Savior of the sick. He's the Savior of women. He's the Savior of men. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. He's the Savior of everyone. And when God sends them into the world, the package says, from God to everyone. But Luke, and it's easy because we do that. We amen. Yes, sir, pastor. He's the savior of everybody. And it's easy for us to clap, but it is hard for us to live that out practically like it's true. And so Luke has to go out of his way because he knows that we struggle with this. That it's hard for us to love our neighbor. It's hard for us to see Jesus as the Savior of the ghetto. It's hard for us to see Jesus as the person of the outcast. So Luke is going to go out of his way in the gospel to make sure that we understand that Jesus is all-inclusive. Luke goes out of his way to show that certain people are included in that everyone. Why? Because people have a tendency to believe everyone while simultaneously not including everyone. Okay, watch this. Luke knows salvation is for all, but he knows Jews will question, is the Gentiles part of this salvation also? Because, you know, the Jews didn't like the Gentiles. They didn't like the Samaritans. So, 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 so God, let me, let me make sure that I got this right. You're the God of Jewish people. 
and them Samaritans we don't like. Luke knows that the rich will question, God, are you the savior of the poor as well? God, and Luke knows that the healthy is going to ask, God, are you the savior of those sick folks too? For an example, it's one thing to say all lives matter. It's another thing to live it out. James Brown had to beg Santa Claus to go straight to the what? To the ghetto. He had to beg him. Y'all know the song, Santa Claus goes straight to the ghetto. But I'm so glad that nobody had to beg God to go to the ghetto. So Luke enforces who the gift is for. He fixes the spotlight of the Christmas story on who the gift is to. He uses all the surroundings of the birth of Jesus to to press upon our hearts that, that, that the gift is for everyone, even those whom we think that it would not be for. All the people surrounding Jesus, like kids who surround the Christmas tree, is pointing and, 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 and preaching to us that, that, that Jesus is for everyone. Watch it. This gift from God to them is going to move them. Well, we're going to know who the gift is for. First thing first is that we got to find the address. Now, if you're sending a gift, you need an address not just to and from. You need an address. You need to know where to send it to. Where did God send the first Christmas present? When you want to deliver something of value, you take extra precaution. Right? If it's something valuable, you, you, know, you want to make sure that that thing of value gets to where it's supposed to be. In fact, when my wife orders something off of Amazon that is, that, that is really important, she gets that package sent to a special place. She wants to make sure that we get that thing. All right? It's strange that although God's gift was of the highest value, he sent it to the lowest place. Mm, man, that's good right there. Mm, that's good. Okay. The package of the highest value is sent to the lowest place. That's, that, that right there, it messed me up, y'all. It messed me up. Just so I'm, I'm, I'm researching, I'm studying, I'm doing my thing that I do week in and week out, getting ready to, you know, preparing a spiritual meal for us, and it messed me up. It's strange that although God's gift was of the highest value, it was sent to the lowest place. Why? Because he wanted it to be reached by the lowest people. Jesus goes straight to the ghetto. That's to say this, the gift is for everybody. Luke cares that, that we situate the birth in history. So he tells about Caesarea Augustus, the ruler of Rome, a man who fancied himself as a god and who broadcast the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Luke tells of Colonel who governed Caesarea, called, called for a census, and that is it was the first census he called for. I filled out the census this year for my family and did it online. But back in those days, you had to return. You had to move back to your town to be counted for. Can you imagine that? If for the census you had to move back to your hometown, this is what they had to do. And so Joseph goes back with Mary to his hometown, little Bethlehem, with all the other descendants of David. 
There's no place for the child to be born there, though, for reasons untold to us. So Mary delivers the child and places him in the manger. Here it is. A gift of high value is delivered to a manger, which is like a feeding trough to the animals. God delivered his Amazon package to the worst place. Right? I'm tripping out, God. What's up? Jay-Z and Beyonce did a better job than God. And God is richer than Beyonce and Jay-Z. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, God speaks and things come into being. God, you couldn't speak a hotel into being. What is he doing? He obviously, obviously is not short on funds. He's obviously not short on options in regards to where his son can be born. He obviously is not a deadbeat dad. If Jay-Z and Beyonce can play thousands a night for their baby, why doesn't God? Because God is not trying to impress us with location, but with his love. Let me say it again. God is not trying to impress us with location. He's trying to impress us with his love. How deep is the Father love for people? The answer is found in the fact that Jesus goes straight to the ghetto. He loves the least of us. Let's keep reading. Because then, after you get the address, here comes the arrival of the gift. Verses 8 through 10 says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for who? For who? If the first part of Jesus' verse story is rather simple and non-miraculous, we can't say the same for the second part. Shepherds, it's been said, were some of the lowest people in society. You need to know this. Shepherds in Jesus' day were considered some of the lowest people in society. Aristotle, centuries earlier, decried shepherds as lazy and worthless. I resonated with that, y'all. I felt that a little bit. And the reason why I felt it is because I know how it feels. I know how it feels to be, uh, be looked at as worthly, uh, uh, worthless and lowly. I remember working at the nursing home at, uh, 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 at a nursing home as a housekeeper. People literally treated us like we were nothing. People didn't even want to talk to us at times. And to be honest, many times you felt like nothing. You were paid the lowest, and you had the worst job in the building. You had to do the job no one else wanted. You know, we sometimes judge people by their occupation. Come on, let's be honest this morning. We judge people by their salaries. We judge people by their titles. We even treat people with more or less dignity based on their job and sometimes don't want to be around them. But God took his gift and put it around those whom no one wanted to be around. God takes Jesus and put some dead smack in the middle of people that no one wanted to be around. Look at what kind of God you serve this morning. That he seeks out and he finds those that everyone has forgotten about. He finds those that no one wants anything to do about. And he places himself right in the middle of the people that everybody's forgotten about. 
Come on, Luke, teach us this morning. Preach to us this morning, Luke. Poor, ghetto, fatherless kid surrounds God's Christmas tree. Heaven's most valuable package is delivered at the doorstep of poor people. Mess me up again. The package arrives at the doorstep of poor folks, rejected folks, and forgotten folks. Jesus shows up on Fifth Avenue, not the Magnificent Mile. That ought to knock you off your feet there. This doesn't even go together. This doesn't even make sense. This sounds like a fairy tale. This cannot be real. Expensive stuff is not found at the doorstep of poor folks. Amazon is not bringing the expensive stuff to the poor houses. Not bringing it to the hood. Why? Because they can't afford it. But the wet bandits from home alone, they got this. Y'all remember the wet bandits? Harry, I reached the top. I, I, I know, uh, Home Alone, I mean, that's that, yeah, I love that movie, y'all. Why are the sticky bandits at Kevin's house? In Kevin's neighborhood? Because they knew something. The expensive items were there. What then is Jesus doing at the doorstep of poor shepherds? Friends, because of this and hear me good. Because grace sent him. And grace can get anywhere because grace is free. And the reason why the most valuable gift is at the doorstep of poor people because they ain't got to pay for it. God charged it to his own car. And God wants the shepherds to know this gift is from me to you. And you will be proof that it's for everyone. Jesus goes to the underprivileged. God does not pick people because they are in good shape. God, does, God didn't pick you because you have the potential to produce great things. God didn't pick you because you were polished up. God didn't pick you because you were clean. God didn't pick you because you were righteous. God didn't pick you because you had it together. In fact, it's just the opposite. God picked you because you were not polished up. God picked you because you were messed up. God picked you because you were powerless. God picked you, cleaned you up, polished you up, brassed you up, brought you to himself, cleaned you up, and called you his own. Why? Because God wants to get all the glory. Not only does he polish you up, he fills you with his spirit. I need to be clear. I need to be clear because I don't want y'all sending me emails and accusing the pastor that God doesn't like rich folks. <laughs> that God only loves the people in the ghetto. No, no, I'm not saying that. God, God cares about privileged folks. God cares about those that are well off to do, if you will. But God is wanting to get all the credit. He wants those who have nothing to know with him, they can become something. And he wants those who have something to know he didn't choose them because they have something. And so God shows up in the ghetto. He shows up with the poor so that he can make that point. So God's Amazon gives goes straight to the ghetto. 
And this is so clear as the angels burst on the scene, probably sending these poor shepherds into cardiac arrest. At first, it's just one angel, and he says, hey, 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 yo, hey, shepherds out there, I need to tell you something. I got a message from heaven to you. The gift tag on the gift of Jesus is an announcement from a heavenly angel to lowly shepherds. Here's the message, verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The great news is that today has been, uh, today has been given to you a gift from heaven to you. It's to you from above. And so, and so the angel makes the announcement. Okay, yeah, so Jesus shows up. That is, birth into the world. And God the Father doesn't keep it quiet. He's not low-key about it. He's not chilled about it. He makes a loud announcement. You know how it is when you have some really, a really cool gift, you can't keep quiet. That's how I am. That's all I like to buy my gifts early because it's hard for me to keep it to myself. I want to hurry up and show the person what I got because I want to see that joy. You know how it is when you get a really cool gift, right? Now, now usually when someone major was being born in Jesus' day, you would do a big announcement. I mean, it would be all out especially if this person was good news. Emperor Augustus, when he was born, was announced as good news. What's good news about Jesus being born? Well, first we start with who he is. In the message that the angel delivered to the shepherds is the description of the gift. He is Christ, which means the Lord's anointed and promised Messiah. Let me slow it down. I want you to feel that. I want you to feel that with everything in you, right? He's the Lord's anointed and promised Messiah, and certainly he is, ladies and gentlemen. He is God's salvation. (laughs) What does that mean, Pastor? Well, the gospel of Matthew tells us this. Hold on to yourself. This is, ooh, this is good. Ooh, this is good right here. This will preach all by itself. Here it is. I'm getting ready to say it. She will give birth to a son, and you shall name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Mm, That's good right there. You didn't shout. You didn't shout. You didn't get it. You didn't get it. It says that you should name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Okay, I think you're getting it now. So God sends the gift to the shepherds who were poor and outsiders. All right, they're poor, they're outsiders. In reality, we're all outsiders, no matter how many degrees and how much money we got. We're all outsiders when it comes to God. The good news is heaven meets poverty. The good news is greatness meets weakness. The good news is the rich meets the poor. The good news is he shall save. And I love that it says that he shall save because it doesn't leave any room as, as, as to if God is going to fail at his mission. It doesn't say that he might save. It doesn't say that he, he, it's a possibility that he'll save. It says that he shall save, which means that God is guaranteeing through Jesus he's going to save the world. 
God sent someone to clean up your mess. God sent someone to clean up your mess. I knew y'all was going to look at me crazy, so I had to bring an example. Anybody remember the Bounty commercial? It goes like this. The quicker picker-upper. Y'all got it. Y'all been watching TV. And in the commercial, someone would make a mess, and Bounty will clean it up by absorbing the mess of another. The whole premise of the commercial is the bad news is you made the mess, but the good news is Bounty is strong enough and tough enough to absorb your mess. All I'm trying to say is that God brought sent another Bounty into the world, not wrapped up in plastic, but wrapped up in flesh. And he's strong enough, big enough, mighty enough to absorb your mess and clean it up. He's God's quicker picker-upper. I don't know about you, but I need a quicker picker-upper in my life because I keep making mistakes. I keep dropping stuff. I keep messing stuff up. And God just keeps sending his quicker picker-upper right behind Dexter Harris, and he keeps picking up my mess and cleaning it up. This is why he's good news because he's God's quicker picker-upper. The Bible says it this way. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth lying in a manger. Jesus is good news because he's God's gift to everyone. Even the oppressed. Even the poor. Even women. And the reason I need to, I need to put a little caveat here is I say even women because women were not treated good in Jesus' day. Even as you read the gospel of Luke, you'll see that Luke goes out of his way to highlight women in his gospel. You got time to get too much deep into it, but women were marginalized. They were looked at as second-class citizens. And so Luke wants to make sure that he pulls women into it as well. That, no, God loves them. He pulls in outcasts and sinners and lepers and slaves and you can't keep God even from the poorest of the poor. People are baffled on how some of the slaves in the cotton field knew the Savior better than the educated masters in the house. You see, everyone was trying to keep those slaves from knowing God. But no matter how hard you try to keep people from God, you ain't big enough and strong enough to do that. God found them in the field. He found them where they were marginalized and he revealed himself. Man, God is amazing. You see, everyone had been checking the tracking updates on this gift. Everybody was waiting on this gift to come into the world. You know how when you're looking for your package, you keep going to FedEx. Some of y'all doing it right now. Just keep looking at me. So when this package coming, they need to hurry up. And COVID just messed everything up. You got to order stuff like six months in advance. I had, I had a friend uh, tell, tell me this week, he said, Dex, I ordered my couches in August. And they just coming. Well, think about waiting on a package. You get frustrated after a while. You say, when is it coming? The people of Israel have been checking the tracking for a minute, waiting for God's gift to come into the world, and it finally comes. They're looking for package update. And finally, it said, out for delivery. How many, I mean, you shout louder than you shout for your salvation when you say, when they say it's out for delivery. Some of y'all shout real loud. 
And so the people of God shouted when they found out that it was out for delivery. But they were not expecting it to be delivered to the ghetto. You put all this together, and what we have is not just a baby born on a date to a mother, but an invitation for outsiders to come and see a newborn king. This is a heavenly invitation which screams, all are welcome by the side of the Savior. All who would come, please come. See for yourself. Worship the king. Hear ye, he has come. He is a gift from heaven to you. It's not just good for a gift to come. You must receive the gift. As we go through Matthew, as we go through Luke, we see this gift is going to people. And as he does, he moves people. Jesus goes to people and he moves people. I'm talking about moving their inner being. And I wanted to give you flesh and bones in this. Watch this. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. Blind man just sitting on the side of the road. He's begging. You can feel it that he's on the side of the road, which means that he's on the outside. You can tell that when Luke says that he's on the outside, he's on the side of the road, which means that society has rejected him. You can feel it that he feels alone. He's all by himself. He's on the side of the road. He is not in, in, in the midst of everything that is going on in the society. He's on the side of the road, and he's begging. He's lowly. He's needy. He can't, he can't meet his own needs. He's blind. And when he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him, man, brother, be quiet. That's my version, y'all. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Can you see him on the side of the road? He's trying to get an opportunity with the Savior. He's trying to talk to Jesus, and people are rebuking him, telling him to shut up, dude. Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? I wonder what you would say if God asked you that question right now. He said, Lord, I want to see. He replied, and Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, his sight, and follow Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also prayed God. But when this man hears a large crowd going by, he asks the people around him, what's going on? The blind man starts asking the question, what's the big crowd? Who is this that's passing by? And they say, oh, this is Jesus of Nazareth. And that's where the story gets interesting because his response is not to cry out, Jesus of Nazareth, give me some money. He didn't, I mean, I probably would have, I probably would have asked that. You got a couple beans on you, you know, you got some, you got some bread on you, Jesus. You got a little something for a brother, you know what I mean? That's what I would have said. But he didn't ask him that. He didn't say, uh, he, uh, 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 he didn't ask Jesus for money. He didn't say, Jesus of Nazareth, give me some food. That would have been reasonable. I mean, maybe he had, you know, you know, some crackers on him or something, you know. 
uh, or maybe some popcorn or something, some salt and sour, you know, pull-up juice or something. I don't know. But, hey, he could ask for that. But he asked for something that you don't ask anybody. He said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And when he does this, what does the crowd do? Those who led the way were saying, telling him, be quiet. Now, let's just pause here for a second. Not only does this man have to push past his unworthiness to even think the Savior would give him the time in the day, but he has to push past those on the outside that sees him as unworthy. They don't believe this gift belongs to him. They don't believe this gift is from heaven to him. It is one thing to deal with your own thoughts of unworthiness. Is there anybody in the room that struggles with your own thoughts of unworthiness? That you struggle with the, with the, with the, with the fact that God can love someone like you. Is there anyone in the room? That you know what you did last night and so you struggle with the fact that God can love someone like you. You are so well acquainted with your past and your history that you struggle with the unworthiness to show up to church Sunday morning. Anybody ever struggled like the blind man? That you go through this whole thing to get yourself even to show up to this place. Maybe you're on Facebook and it took everything in you to wake up this morning to even attend church via Facebook Live because you feel this sense of unworthiness. But not only does he struggle with unworthiness on the inside, he has to pass, press past the perception of everyone else who feels that he's unworthy as well. This man has been operating out of the damaging psychological framework of blind people don't matter. This is the psychological framework that he's working out of. That blind people don't matter. He does not feel safe in the world. Do you know what happens to people when they are discriminated against for years, decades, I see this sometimes even in our own church. I hate to say it. When certain people come in, people look like, what are you doing around the Christmas tree? There's no gifts here for you. As if they don't matter. And as they try to get remotely close to Jesus, we're like the crowd, we push them away. Remember, just because people don't matter to you doesn't mean they don't matter to God. Mostly everyone around him is privileged. You say, how, Pastor? How are they privileged? They have two seeing eyes, or at least one. They live in a society made for and catered for seeing people. They don't know what it is like to have to consider your blindness every day. This man is the minority in this situation. He doesn't feel safe or secure, but mercy is passing by. Mercy is passing by. And when mercy is passing by, you don't let it pass you by. He came for you, blind man. 
And the blind man teaches us that the gift of mercy is for everyone who will receive it. When God has a gift for you, you reach out and you take it. It's yours. God sends Jesus into the world. That's yours if you will receive it. Or you can leave it under the tree. And after December 25th, the only gifts that are left under my tree are those who have yet to come to receive it. And so here it is. He's so merciful, we can bring our problems to him and be vulnerable. Bob knows the gift is from God to him in the presence of mercy. He raises his voice. He shouts at the top of his lungs. And what does he say? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's not thinking of shame or fear or what people would think of him. Mercy just showed up. And if mercy showed up, I'm going to get free, whether you guys like it or not, whether you're with me or not. Friends, I came to preach to somebody this morning that this is your moment. This is your time. God wants to set you free. And you cannot be thinking about what everybody else thinks. Sometimes you got to get undignified. Y'all better move up out my way. God is here. Y'all do it on Black Friday. (laughs) Stepping on folks to get that what you want. God is in the world. But what I love about him, the blind man is this. Not only does he realize that the gift is from God to him, But when he receives the gift, the gift moves him. As you can see, God's gift is always moving towards us no matter who we are and no matter where we are. He came down because we couldn't go up. He sent him from heaven to earth. The apostle Paul explains salvation as the gift gift of salvation this way. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, said that no one may boast. Worship team is coming back at this time. Let me say it one more time. For by grace you have been saved through what? Through faith. Now watch this. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift from who? From God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Paul. I read that verse. How do you feel right now? Did it move you? Did it put a praise on your tongue? Did it put a shout in your lungs? Did it make you want to move your hands? Did it make you want to move your feet? If it didn't, it's because you don't realize how much you need this gift. Look what happened to the blind man. Immediately he receives his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When he received the gift, it moved him to praise God. Why did it move him? When someone gives us a gift that shows they thought deeply of us, I mean that gift that says this is just what the doctor ordered, this is just what I needed, it moves us. The gift that brings hope to to your hopeless situation, the gift that reminds you that you matter, something happens deep down in the inside. 
the gift of God doesn't just move towards us, but it moves us to praise him, to celebrate him, to magnify him. This is why we sing Yahweh, Yahweh, for he is worthy of our praise.